Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Solving the Financial Puzzle. I am your host each and every week, Dan Capril. I'm the president of Matson and Capril. We are a uh, certified financial planning firm situated in Cincinnati, Ohio. We have offices all over the city. I pay rent to a lot of municipalities, so take advantage of those. Uh, actually, we work with clients in 20 states, so as much as we have a focus in Cincinnati, we really have a focus all over the country. And uh, thankfully, due to modern technology, it really doesn't matter where you live. Hopefully, we can help you. Hopefully, if it's just listening to this podcast, that's great. But if you have personal things you want to go over, always feel free to reach out. You can call me, 513-563-PLAN. That's 513-563-7526. Or you can always email me, dan at matsonandcapril.com. Every once in a while, I like to take your questions, the the, the questions that have been submitted to me, either through our website or uh, people just emailing me straight out. So I'm going to do that today. We're going to go with first one is Fred in Indianapolis. So Fred, I want you to know that I am a big time Pacer fan. I uh, have a partial season ticket there. So my son and I um, are there twice a month, usually. I really like it. Um, I'd never bought any type of season ticket package before, and this is only 10 games. But wonderful arena there, Banker's Life Arena in Indianapolis. So if you're in Cincinnati and, uh, I mean, where the Cavs play is great. And I love the Cavs. I really do. But my son moving there, I just got into going. It was a good excuse to go visit with him and, and go to a game. He literally lives across the street from the arena in downtown Indianapolis. So, boy, that is incredibly convenient. <laughs> you leave your coat. You leave everything. You look at your watch. It's 10 minutes till the tip off. You, you walk across the street and you're in the arena. But uh, anyway, Fred says, I'm retiring in two years, but I'll probably live another 30 years. Well, I hope so, Fred. That would be great. Hopefully healthy until the day you die. So it seems I shouldn't be invested very conservatively if I have three more decades of investing ahead of me, right? Well, you know, Fred, it's like they always say, it depends. So let me give you an exaggerated example. If somebody had $10 million at retirement and all they needed to live on was 1% of that, which I guess would be $100,000. Yeah, you're right. You could probably put that money in a jar and just pull from it every single year and you would never run out. So you could be incredibly conservatively invested, right? You could you could put it all in the bank, you know, and get 0.5% or something like that. On the other hand, if you don't have that much, and if the only way you're going to have the retirement you want is for your money to continue to grow, then yes, you have to weigh out the conservative with the aggressive. But we need to understand the math of retirement because the math of retirement is a lot different than the math of accumulation. When you're retired, you're actually selling shares. You're selling a percentage of your portfolio for cash regularly. So if your portfolio drops in value at any point in time, you have to sell more shares to equal the same amount of cash because the shares aren't worth as much even though markets could come back, and they usually do, those extra shares you sold, they're gone. You're never gonna get them back. So your average return doesn't become nearly as important as the consistency of your return. And that's why having a completely volatile portfolio mathematically probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But you are right that there's probably a role for equities in your portfolio, by equities I mean stocks, in your portfolio, and you shouldn't abandon them but I don't think that it should be necessarily the same percentage that it was when you were 30 years old. So you got to keep that part of it in mind. But I do like the fact that you are logically thinking about longevity. 
you understand that longevity also means taxes and inflation are going to affect you. And therefore, if you're going to be too conservative an investor, it could come back and hurt you. So that's, that's a great question, Fred. And uh, one thing I want to point out is I make this, this very same point in our book, Retirement Rescue. And if you've never gotten a copy of our book, Retirement Rescue, please give us a call. I'm happy to send you a copy. Uh, 513-563-PLAN is the number. That's 513-563-7526. Or you can just email me, Dan, at Matson and Capril. Capril's got two L's. Dot com. All right, here's another one. We've got uh, Carrie in Mason. What's going to happen with tax rates in the future? That's interesting because you know we just had them changed. I've always assumed they'll be going up for the rest of my life, but now I'm thinking maybe they'll go down given recent decisions of the White House. What do you think? Well, that's a question very near to my heart, near and dear to my heart, Carrie. I would like to believe that they will stay low and always go low because I think that that is a logical way to not only grow an economy, but that's a logical way to increase treasury revenues. Every time we've seen significant reductions in federal income taxes, we've seen economic expansion follow. So while the government gets a smaller piece of the pie, the pie is bigger. And as a result, they get more money. And that's happened every time it's been tried. It, it, it's, you know, most recent history, JFK did that, Ronald Reagan did that, and now we're seeing it with the Trump administration. So. I would like to believe that would be the case. One of my concerns though, and I talk about this a lot on this show, is the change in demographics in our country. We are getting older every day. 10,000 people turns age 65. And so the need for entitlement spending, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, that just continues to grow. And I'm worried that that's gonna grow way too fast. That's gonna go faster than the expansion of the economy can keep up. And I do get concerned that we could see tax rates go up in the future. So when I look at a baby boomer or a Gen Xer who's got most, if not all, of their retirement savings in a tax-sheltered account, like a 401k, a 403b, an IRA account, that is usually done with the understanding of the hope that tax rates will go down in the future. So you're deducting the rate when you're working at a higher rate and you're going to pull it out later in life at a lower rate. That is not always the case. And it may be a lower rate than your working years, but it still may be too high a rate for you. I mean, understand, the federal government has a lien on those, on those assets. So if you look at your account, you may be all happy, oh, I hit a million dollar mark. Well, you're not at a million. You're probably at 650,000 because the federal government has a lien on that for 350 grand. So that's a big reason why I'm a proponent of people taking steps to move their money from a taxed later vehicle to a taxed never vehicle. And there's a number of strategies that you can do to implement that. And if you'd like more information on that, that's a big part of our practice, it's a big part of what we do. We even have webinars on the, on the issue. Just feel free to reach out. You can uh, give us a call at uh, 513-563-PLAN. That's 513-563-7526. Or go to my website, matsonandcapril.com. And right at the top there, there's something called the Retirement Rescue Toolkit. And if you order the kit, we'll also send you an invitation to the webinar where you can learn even more about that. So, yeah, Carrie, I, I'm very excited that rates are going down. But, you know, in my 54 years on this planet, we've had rates go up and down. The current administration is only guaranteed to be in there for three more years. So whether we have a change then or a change in seven years, whatever, taxes will change. So it's all going to depend on the priorities of who wins what, you know, who are the elected officials, et cetera. But... Clearly, economies with lower tax rates tend to work out better. There's more opportunities, and even treasury revenues go up 
the question becomes, are we going to overspend it? The challenge is always is dealing with the political aspects of low taxes, because some people try to make an argument that higher earners don't pay as much, when in truth, any, that's far from reality. I mean, the highest earners always pay almost all the income tax, but that's the, um, you know, you can, you can get into politics and you can be successful by, by creating the image of enemies. You know, these are the people we're up against. And we see that now with class warfare all the time. Stella, I love that name, Stella. Stella, okay, Stella, I'm sorry. Stella in Covington. Should I be worried about what will happen to the market if we end up with some kind of international conflict? I don't even like watching the news anymore. You know, Stella, I've never liked watching the news. <laughs> it's interesting you should, you should point that out. You know, there's a theory. If, um, if you don't know this, for a long time, the U.S., was very hesitant about getting into World War II. And FDR clearly wanted in, but there were a lot of members of Congress who did not. And of course, once Pearl Harbor was attacked, we had nothing, we had no choice, right? We had to go. There are those who suggest that maybe we knew Pearl Harbor was going to get attacked and we'd let it happen. Now, I think that's absurd, I really do. I didn't agree with a lot of the things that FDR did as a president, but I think the man was a true patriot. And uh, I don't think for one second he was willing to trade the loss of human life so we could get back into war. But there is a lot of theory that, the, that preparing for the war was a stimulant to the economy. Now, there's a lot of people who would argue that that's kind of illogical because that means that by destroying things, you're ultimately creating wealth. And in reality, all you're doing is transferring wealth from one step, from one place to another. So you can go on and on about that. I do think that we have advanced ourselves so much that there's only one bit of news we could never recuperate from, and that is thermonuclear war. Everything else we've had worse in the past. Now, personally, I look at the situation with, with North Korea, and this has been going on for years. If you watch the way the, the North Korean regime operates, it's one of the poorest countries in the world. There's a great picture, you can find it online if you Google it. Google the Korean Peninsula at night. And it's an incredible, it's a satellite photo of the peninsula. And you will see half the peninsula at night is lit up, and the other half is as dark as can be. And the lit up part is South Korea, a, a free market capitalist democratic nation. And of course the dark side, you know where that is. That's the, the Kim family and uh, all the dictators from the families. And, you know, the way that the Kim dynasty has operated, it's, it's, you know, it's not an election process, really. Um, you know, uh, Kim's father, you had Kim, Kim Jong-un is now the, the leader. Before him was his goofy father, Kim Jong-un, or Kim Jong-il. And then before him, you had his goofy father, Kim Jong-sun, who was actually the father of their communist revolution in the 1950s. They were propped up largely by the, the Chinese. And that's why we had the Korean conflict, was to try to keep at least part of Korea safe. And we might've been able to go further. I mean, that was a big reason why General MacArthur got fired. But in any event, the way in which North Korea tends to operate is they threaten to do something and they will back off if you give them money. They like to bribe. So this goes, every administration's had to deal with them. And most administrations have dealt with them by just giving them what they want. And there's plenty of speeches. You can see them from Bill Clinton to um, George, uh, the first George Bush, George W. Bush to Barack Obama, all saying we fixed the crisis. And of course they didn't. 
It's just being the can gets kicked down the road because as soon as they're out of money, once again, they start rattling their sabers and they want somebody to you know pay them off. That's been the operation. So as we look at North Korea now, we have a president who's really not willing to play that game or at least he's talking tough. So he's in many ways calling their bluff. Now, I don't think there's a chance in heck that the North Koreans will ever do something stupid, largely because the Chinese won't let them. The Chinese value their relationship with the United States, and North Korea exists only because China allows them to exist. So when Kim Jong-un was a few months back talking about attacking Hawaii, the Chinese basically said, look, if you get attacked, North Korea, we've got your back. But if you do it, we're neutral. Now, we're always going to have international conflicts. They are the norm. We've had some that are far worse than what we're dealing with today in terms of loss of life and treasure. But we've always had them. I can't predict the future for you. But I'll put it this way. I like our chances for dealing with these things a lot better than I did back in the 1940s or the 1960s or the 1970s. So we'll just have to see. But I, I think that, again, it gets back to what I often say, that if you're going to be realistic about the future, you really do have to have a level of optimism. That optimistically is the realistic way to view the future because history just bears that out. So I don't know how much that's helped you, Stella, but at least that's my perspective. And I would keep a, an optimistic and global viewpoint going forward. Tim. Tim is in Hyde Park. How often do you help people deal with a lump sum? We're probably going to come into a large amount of money soon and aren't sure what to do with it. You know, Tim, this is like a softball question here. (laughs) We deal with it a lot, but let me just tell you that whenever you get a lump sum, the first question we have to look at is what are the taxes associated with the lump sum? Now, if it's an inheritance, hopefully it's none. But if the money's part of an IRA, there will be some. So the first strategy for you, Tim, is to figure out how we can minimize the taxation on that. The second thing we have to discuss is what are you looking to do with that money? Now, hopefully it's just, oh no, we'll we'll apply it to our future for our retirement, which is great. But if you have immediate needs, those need to be addressed first. And then whatever's left over, you know, you can figure out. Uh, The advice I would give you though is don't try to time markets. Don't allow the size of the lump sum to have too much of an adverse effect on who you are and what you want to do. And also understand that very few lump sums are as much as people think they are. Uh, the world of the history of lottery winners going broke is quite prevalent. And uh, in fact, most lottery winners run out of money. So I'm not suggesting, Tim, for one second that would be you, but I want you to know that a million dollars, for example, ain't what it used to be. I'm sure you've heard that expression before. If you want information on that, or if you're like Tim, you want to know a little bit more about how we help people with that type of a thing, feel free to reach out. 513-563-PLAN is our number, 513-563-7526. Or you can go to our website, www.matsonandcapril.com. Capril is C-U-P-R-I-L-L. And uh, you can uh, contact us through there. You can also uh, get a copy of our Retirement Rescue Toolkit. Okay, last question. Aaron, Aaron in Norwood. I've bounced around to a lot of different jobs and have lots of 401ks with small balances. 
Is there a way to just merge these into one and make it easier to track it? Yeah, Aaron, you, you absolutely can. Uh, first of all, Aaron, you're, you're just like most baby boomers, probably, if you are Gen Xer. That's the nature of the beast now. The days of you work for one company your whole life and then get a pension are pretty much over. So absolutely, you can, first of all, you can always take the money from one company and from one job and add it to the 401k of the new company. You can do that. The other way is you could roll them all into an IRA. And that'd be another strategy for you. There's there's pros and well, I think there's I think they're mostly the idea of rolling it to your own IRA. There's more pros than cons. In fact, I struggle to think of a con other than you can't take a loan against it. But you're able to invest the money any way you want. And if you had to access the money, you could. Now there might be taxes and penalties associated with accessing it, but you get a little bit more freedom. If you roll the money into your current plan, your accessibility to that money may be somewhat limited until you actually leave the company. But by all means, I'm a big believer that you should aggregate because you need to have one true strategy for your money. And too often I see people with these accounts and every money, everyone's invested differently with no clear logic as to why. There should be a reason why you have so much of your money in large company stocks, small company stocks, international bonds. There should be a reason for that. Those percentages shouldn't just happen. There should be a targeted reason for that, a balancing of expected risk and return. And if that's not being done, well, then it's not being done correctly. So if you'd like information on how you can better and more efficiently diversify your portfolio, feel free to reach out. 513-563-PLAN is the number. That's 513-563-7526. Or you can email me, dan at matsonandcapril.com. Well, that concludes another edition of Solving the Financial Puzzle. I've enjoyed, uh, as always, our time with you here today. I wish you all the very best and look forward to next week's edition. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to Solving the Financial Puzzle. If you want to find out more about Dan Capril or about today's topic, visit matsonandcapril.com. And be sure to join us for the next edition of Solving the Financial Puzzle. Information provided on today's show is provided for information purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information has been obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Always consult with an investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action. Dan Capril is an investment advisor representative of MPM Wealth Advisors and Capril Wealth Coaching, LLC. Both firms are registered investment advisors. To obtain a copy of Form ADV and a private policy statement for either firm, call 800-353-7923.